0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Goliver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. You know, it's great to have you back. It's great to hear your voice. On last week's episode, I spent about 10 or 15 minutes dissecting how your basketball life had fallen apart and... Just judging by the emails we got back, lots of positive responses to that. A lot of people telling you that, you know, maybe (laughs) you needed to fight back a little bit. So I thought we should run this back. But instead of your basketball life, I'm just going to spend the next 10 or 15 minutes dissecting your real life, all the mistakes that you made, all of your uncomfortable habits, all of the kinds of things that, you know, basically an airing of dirty laundry. How's that sound?
0: No, I, I'm i all set. I don't think we need to go down that road. And I have a bone to pick with you, actually. Uh-oh. Normally, you're the one who tries to sort of catch me off guard in these little opening monologues of yours. But I listened to the Lee Jenkins pod, and honest to God, it was like hearing a whole new Ben Golliver. You were so respectful the entire time. You were just curious for Lee, Lee's thoughts on everything, you know? You, you were just like a... a a respectful pupil, almost. Like I, I don't know. Like, wh- where did that side come from?
1: You know, I I prefer to call it a parishioner. You know, I kind of worship at the altar of Lee, <laughs> and it's always awkward. Like, seriously, like three days before we did that interview, I compared him to Steph Curry and basically said I would take him over anyone in the entire world, essentially. And then three days later, it's like, hey, Lee, so tell me, what do you think, LeBron, two thousand eighteen? Hey, look, we can all agree it was a slightly awkward dynamic. I do want to say one real quick thank you, though, Andrew. <laughs> You're the
0: best. It wasn't awkward. It was great. I, I really enjoyed the pod. I,
1: I want to say one real quick thank you to our producer, Lou. We usually bury the thank yous deep in the in the podcast. Up front, let's just say thanks so much to him for editing that podcast. It was nearly lost to history. If you guys haven't listened to that episode, Lee dropped so much knowledge about Ben Simmons, LeBron, Paul George, everything, uh, and it took some great editing work. Uh, Now, with that being said, there were a few moments late in that podcast where it sounded (laughs) like I was talking to myself. And what I loved about that, Andrew, because I've told you this before, I've admitted this on a previous episode, that I'm one of these people who goes around my living room just you know, having conversations with myself, you know, as if I have imaginary friends and sometimes I'll even refer to myself in the third person if I'm mad at myself, you know, come on, Ben, you know, you got to do better, stuff like that. Totally. <laughs> so, so hearing me do that while I was also in the middle of this like tribute to Lee, there was just a lot going on in that episode. So, you know, stay for the the good insight. Uh, But also, you know, don't forget uh, about the funny stuff towards the end. Yeah,
0: no, stay for Ben Goliver talking to himself because I heard that and I was like, man, next time I go on vacation, I'm going to make Ben host this show by himself and he could just argue with himself for an hour and 15 minutes. I don't know if it would be entertaining to other people. But it was really entertaining to me hearing you go back and forth about Melo talking to yourself. So (laughs) I enjoyed that. I enjoyed Lee. But we have a lot of questions to get into today. And I think we should start with LeBron because LeBron has been on another planet for about a month now. And we haven't really talked about it. So let's do 10 or 15 minutes on LeBron. We got a couple different questions here. We'll start with Tom who says... Look, I know we all said after last season that LeBron isn't in the GOAT conversation anymore, but everyone makes mistakes. Is LeBron entering GOAT territory again? Now, Tom, I don't know who you were talking to after last season, but LeBron was definitely in the GOAT conversation at the end of last season. He's been in the GOAT conversation for the last, like, three years. Basically, as soon as he won that title over the Warriors... He inserted th- himself into that conversation for the next 50 years. Uh, me- I will say this, though. Like, watching him the first month here, or the first two months, it has been pretty wild. It's like, every year he keeps this going, it gets a little harder to dismiss him and, in, the, in the Jordan comparisons. Even though, like, without winning six rings, he's probably never going to be on, on Jordan's level. But what he's doing right now makes me think that, like, I'm going to look back in 50 years and think, like, LeBron was the most incredible athlete I ever saw.
1: Yeah, a couple of thoughts. First of all, let me give you a keep it real take. Now, I didn't want to, you know, uh, go back hard at Lee on last week's episode but I did ask him you know is LeBron doing all this Jordan stuff on the court you know mimicking his ball handling or the turnaround jumpers to try to get us to have this exact conversation and he kind of dodged yeah. that question what I should have done is gone back at him and come and say come on Lee like he definitely is doing that <laughs> he he's trying to get us to have this exact conversation and a couple things to note first of all trip down memory lane. When LeBron was the, you know, got to 20,000 points, I actually did this statistical chart to basically try to graph out how long it would take him to get to 30,000 because he's always one of these guys who's like the youngest to these benchmarks, right? Youngest to 20,000, youngest to 30,000. Kobe's always in this mix because, you know, he went straight from preps to pros as well. And when I did that chart, this is like five years ago, uh, I had just sort of assumed that, okay, let's just imagine uh, LeBron's a robot. He's going to play 75 uh, you know, games per year. He's going to keep a, a pretty normal minute uh, average, say 36 minutes per game. When's that 30,000 points going to fall? Lo and behold, uh, I believe it was January 2018. LeBron is right now, as we speak, uh, essentially 400 points away from 30,000. So he is right on track. So you track. nailed I mean, it. No, but I'm saying it was the easiest projection ever because this guy is just a straight line for a decade. I mean, you don't even, it's not like I got the prediction, right? It's that he has just tracked along that just straight progressive track so closely throughout his entire career. It's completely insane. And this sort of brings me to my take or my latest rendition of my take, you know, or my defense (laughs) of Jordan. Uh, It's this. I think that Jordan has pretty clearly, in my eyes, still owns the argument for who was the most dominant relative to his peers. I think the Mm -hmm. gap between Jordan and everyone else throughout his prime and how long he extended that was bigger than LeBron, even though LeBron has clearly been the best player now for like seven, eight, nine years. uh, I think the gap between Jordan and everybody else, especially in terms of being able to influence team wins, is bigger than the gap between LeBron and everybody else. But let me ask you this. If you had to guess that a star in the future would be able to go 6-0 and in the finals or mimic LeBron's career over the course of 15, 18, and potentially 20 years of playing at the level LeBron's on with no major blips, with, you know, just 26-6-6 averages okay. basically like the I whole way through. With this. What What is less likely? And I, to me, I think it's actually less likely that someone's ever going to be able to come along and do what LeBron's doing.
0: I don't. I don't know if I agree with that, and I, I didn't want to frame this in the in the Jordan binary. Like I, Jordan, to me, is going to be the best NBA player we ever saw, in part because his his career took on like these mythical proportions, and and, and the like the six and zero in the finals thing is part of that. And I don't think we're ever going to see a guy come through the league and be able to do that again, because the talent is so much deeper now than it was when Jordan played. Like Jordan wasn't beating the greatest teams in the world in those finals matchups. Whereas LeBron is going up against like the Spurs, the Warriors. I mean, his, he's had much stiffer competition. Uh, so I could see somebody mimicking him, him and his 15 year run uh, more than I could see someone going through the final six and zero. but to me, like, I I was writing about Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony um, like two weeks ago. And those are LeBron's peers. And I was writing about them sort of adjusting to the aging process and having to inhabit new roles. And like Wade's coming off the bench. Mello should probably be coming off the bench. And it's just sort of – and we're seeing it with Chris Paul. Like He's in a much better situation in Houston because he doesn't have to carry as much of the load on offense. Whereas LeBron, who is basically the same age as those guys, has the same amount of miles on his body, is still playing 37 minutes a game. I I looked up his numbers before this. He's averaging 28 a game on 57% from the field and 42% from three. Like. This shit is ridiculous, and it just, I don't know if it's ever going to slow down. And to me, like, he reminds me more of like Jim Brown, where he's just a, a historic anomaly. And like, he's so I guess the way I would put it is Jordan is probably the best basketball player I've ever seen, whereas LeBron is the most incredible athlete. I just don't know if we're ever going to see anybody this physically dominant because like he just hasn't slowed down he's he's so much more powerful and and he's in total control on the floor at all times and like he could keep this going for another four or five years
1: here's one thing i want to add to what you just said about the weight and and the chris paul comps first of all he's got even more miles than those guys i mean that's the crazy thing because he's in the finals every year yeah exactly but even more than that, when we talk about players being the most complete players, we're usually describing skill sets, right? They can score, right. they can pass, they can play defense and like that. Remember that completeness also can uh, you know, come through or be displayed by your ability to still be a major impact guy when the nature of the game changes. And when I look at LeBron's career, I look back to 2015, that's his age 30 season, That's when the Warriors basically changed the game, right? 2014, 2015, right in that range. Totally. For for a lot of guys on that elite level, once you're after 30, once the next generation comes up, once the style of play starts to change... All of those things sort of bring about your decline more rapidly. What we've seen with LeBron is the completeness going the other way. He's such a complete player that he has been able to adapt to the new game. And now what we see, the reason why he's scoring 28 points a game is because, guess what? LeBron's great in any style you want to play. If you're going to spread the court wide open, go small, and let him go one-on-one just like James Harden, both those guys are going to shoot an unbelievable percentage at the rim and break their guys down off the dribble, use their strength use their body control, use their handle to get all the way to the rim. You're going to have an awesome offense, super efficient. You're going to win a lot of games and you're going to put up monster numbers. And so that is one really unique argument uh, for LeBron that almost reminds me a little bit of Duncan because Duncan was able to transcend Eris too. It's really hard to do that. I mean, look at Kobe. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but he had a really hard time kind of transcending Eris. He had two distinct uh, winning stretches but his fall off was pretty quick, obviously injury related as well. But uh, you can even make an argument potentially that a guy like Mike, my favorite, the guy who I'm always going to say is the greatest would have not necessarily been able to make that same transition as smoothly as LeBron has.
0: I think that is a fantastic point. I'm not going to let you drag Kobe's name into the mud though, because he, he had some pretty crazy longevity himself. I mean, he went from like 98 to 2013 as one of the like five best players in the sport but it wasn't on LeBron's level and if anything the new era has played into LeBron's hands and will probably allow him to extend his career a few years longer than he would have been able to otherwise. Well, um, let me ask
1: you this, though, real quick. I mean, did the game change as much during that time period of Kobe's dominance as it has in the last five years? That's sort of my question, because I agree. Right. Kobe's longevity is unreal. I mean, first guy with 20 years, a single franchise, I mean, five titles, goes on and on. There's no doubt, but the the amount uh, that the sport has changed in terms of its strategy here in the last three, four years, it can't be... Uh, overstated, and LeBron's ability to just kind of flip a switch, make some tweaks to his own style, uh, you know, reformulate his rosters, and then just keep plugging ahead with awesome offenses and, and winning teams and finals appearances, it's pretty special. I mean, there's been no, like, there was no down year where LeBron had to, like, figure it out, you know?
0: Yeah, totally, and I think with Kobe, he, it's not necessarily that he couldn't have changed, but he he wasn't going to change the way he played, so it was as much a psychological issue as, like, and, and just the way he approached the game. But um, either way, that's off topic. You mentioned Harden, and we didn't answer this question when it came in two weeks ago, but shout out to Bradley for anticipating where the news cycle was going to go. So Bradley asks, think about adding LeBron James to the current team that Houston has. Three-point shooters all over the floor, a bunch of plus defenders, and a top-five player in James Harden. They can let CP3 go to free agency, sign LeBron into that space, and then they're able to re-sign Chris Paul using his bird rights. Do you guys think this could be possible? Because it could be a lot of fun. So what do you think, Ben, about LeBron and the Rockets?
1: Uh, first of all, I don't think his scenario is is possible. I, I think that's against salary cap rules. There's cap holds that kind of prevent things like that. But I wrote earlier this season, during the midst of the October Cavaliers' struggles, that I thought LeBron should target a new strategy for his free agency next year. I thought he should look for organizations that had better structure, that had more alignment between ownership, GM, star player, and coach, right? And to me, the two teams that really jumped off the page as possible destinations, if we kind of take Golden State out and we take Boston out, because you know, chasing Kyrie to the Celtics would be hilarious, but unlikely. Uh, yeah. I think the two teams are San Antonio and Houston. And with Houston, uh, I think he would fit that system very well. There's no doubt about it. My big concern, though, remember Houston is still operating on Harden's terms. He's the Supermax guy, everything's built around him. Chris Paul had to adjust to Harden, not the other way around. D'Antoni is fully empowered Harden. The last shot of the game, the ball is going to be in Harden's hands. That, I don't think LeBron is capable of being uh, a number two at this point of his career in any way. And I don't think Harden is capable of being a number two and really sacrificing in any way. Now, maybe if they lose a heartbreaking game seven in the Western Conference Finals uh, to the Warriors this year, somehow everyone will decide, hey, we just have to do it and swallow our pride. I just have a really hard time seeing that Harden's usage and role is so big. I think you would get into some uh, of the, the kind of fighting over the ball that we haven't seen between uh, Chris, uh, Chris Paul and James Harden so far this year. I think it would be unavoidable uh, with LeBron uh, and uh, and really? Harden. At, at the same time, I would love to see yeah. I mean, it would be amazing. And their offensive ceiling would be super duper high, but it's more of a question of ego, pecking order, and would you be able to kind of pull that off and massage it? I have real serious questions about that.
0: That's interesting. I'm surprised by it. I'm surprised by your level of concern. Um, because I should clarify my my opinion on the Rockets um after the last few pods. Like objectively well, you hate speaking. Them. No, I
1: mean you really <laughs> oh, hate no. them and you, you think they're a joke, a gimmick. I think you've called them what, Arena League, Big Twelve Football. I mean yes, a few I've different things them- here. <laughs>
0: I've called them the arena league of the NBA uh and look I objectively speaking they're fantastic. I I am half joking with you when I refuse to take them seriously, but like their style of play is great. They've got really great role players and Harden has been amazing in the regular season. And I think it would work with LeBron. I think like if you're just looking around the league at the situation that would be the best fit for LeBron and put him in the best position to challenge the Warriors. I think Houston is probably the correct answer. I just don't know if that's how he's going to decide his free agency. Um, If you look back over his, his move to Miami, his move to Cleveland, like LeBron's always kind of working from a different playbook than the one that we're looking at. And, uh, I don't know. I I think Houston is a little bit too on the nose and predictable for this summer, Um, but we'll see. That's and the other thing is, I was thinking about this, and I I wonder because like Miami caught the whole world off guard in 2010, but I wonder if that free agency happened today with like the level of. Sort of internet sleuthing that goes on with like NBA Reddit, and there are 500 NBA writers writing about every possible scenario. Like, I wonder if Miami would catch us that off guard today. And so, maybe like, I'm kind of expecting LeBron to surprise people with his free agency, but maybe it's impossible to surprise anyone like in the current media landscape. Well,
1: I can't believe we talked about this for so long and you haven't brought up the conspiracy theory, which I was sure you were going to bring up, which is, well, sneaker wars. If Kevin Durant goes to Golden State, it kind of steps on Steph Curry and Under Armour momentum, right? LeBron (laughs) goes to Houston, you step on the stripes. You know, I mean, James Harden's the guy for Adidas right now. Uh, that would certainly present some, uh, some uh, wow. plat- platform issues for I them. Wow, I cannot believe I missed
0: that. I apologize. I'm off my game. That's that's a big hey. miss on my part.
1: Hey, it's okay because, by the way, that's another reason why I have a hard time seeing this happen. I mean, it, it, it's not just egos, personalities. I mean, business interests too, you know? And LeBron has pretty consistently surrounded himself with guys who are sort of on Team LeBron. and. Yeah. Harden isn't it's just hard to see Harden as a
0: team LeBron type guy that's all okay two more quick LeBron questions here the first is from Alex D who continues with the Rockets theory and says imagine the Rockets sneak by the Warriors in the playoffs and beat the Cavs in the finals then LeBron decides to join them over the summer what do you think the reaction would be? Would the NBA hive mind lose its collective shit? Would people who hated Durant for going to the Warriors feel the same way about LeBron, or would they blame Durant for making it acceptable and cheer a legitimate foil to the Warriors? Can you even imagine <laughs> the reaction to that? What would you? What do you think would happen?
1: I think Durant would just live stream his whole summer saying "Told you so." I'm not the bad guy for like two months straight, you know, kind of Stephon <laughs> Mar- Marbury territory from that one summer. Uh, no, I, I, I can't see this scenario. I'm sorry, my, I'm a reality based person, Andrew. You're Good. stretching the bounds of uh, of reality there. Look,
0: I don't, I don't want to live in that reality. That would be like hot take, nuclear winter, and it just would be too much to handle. Uh, I, I do think Durant would end up catching just as much blame as lebron in part because i think we've all come far enough with lebron where nobody wants to like re-enter that 2010 zone where he was america's public enemy number one but uh but yes please do not go to the rockets if they win the fucking title lebron um the last well, that was question one, here. That,
1: real quick, though, that was one thing that Lee seemed to be hinting at is he thinks that there's like this silent majority out there or he seemed to be hinting at this that's just like ready to, to rev up the LeBron hate again if he leaves. Uh, I think, yeah. I I, think that's I'm more with true. you. I'm a little bit more dubious of that, but you never know. You know, you could see people hopping right back to 2010. It's a weird political climate, supercharged. I could see LeBron and, and him being out there on so many issues and... Uh, always being a target, just catching stuff, you know, no yeah. matter what he does, really.
0: He, I think he is more polarizing than people realize. And there are a lot of people who, like, have weird pent-up resentments against LeBron. And uh, I don't know. I don't, Again, I don't want to live in a world where all of that is unleashed all over again. Um, the last question, though. Joseph threw out the prospect of a Paul George trade to the Cavs this season, which we've talked about all along. But my question is a little bit different. Um, Who next year, let's imagine that Paul George is on the Cavs. Who gives LeBron a better shot against the Warriors? A Paul George Cavs team or LeBron on the Rockets?
1: Man, I would say LeBron on the Rockets. I think we're still underselling how good Houston is. You know, I I put them as my big surprise for the early season and, you know, I was getting some snarky text messages from one of our colleagues. I'm not going to name check him here on the podcast. I don't want to <laughs> inflate his ego. Uh, but bottom line, if you thought the Rockets were going to be this good, you're completely lying. They have one of the best point differentials in NBA history. Last time I checked, they were like top five on both sides of the ball. They are strangling teams on the court on a nightly basis. I mean, they're just beating people's, uh, you know, pants off, basically. And And to me, uh, that team is on such a high level and still doesn't really get the hype. By the way, their home crowds, I don't know if you've been watching them on TV lately, I still feel like their home crowds haven't quite realized how good that team is. It bothers me a little bit. Uh, hopefully they you know, come around by, by the playoffs, you know?
0: A couple Rockets fans have hit me up on Twitter saying, is Sharp still complaining about the Rockets home crowds? I got to be honest, I I... It's certainly possible that at one point I complained about Houston's home crowds, (laughs) but I don't think I've ever hated the Rockets because of their stupid fans. That's not an issue for me. It's more stylistic uh, protests, but they're fine. And you're right that they're good.
1: I mean, you know me though. I love appreciating greatness. This team is great. And if you add LeBron to (laughs) them, theoretically, the ceiling is so impossibly high. I guess the one caveat you would say is, you always want to play Golden State later in the playoffs, right? I mean, just more chances for fluky things to happen. So there is an argument to say, just stay in the East and hope right. something happens uh, against them along the way. I mean, remember game one against the Spurs last year, uh, you know, if Kawhi sells that whole series, you know, maybe that's possibly a way they don't have to play Golden State. Uh, but I think the higher ceiling team without question is an already, you know, amazing Houston team with, you know, one of the you know two or three greatest players of all time added to it.
0: Yeah. Arena League football of the NBA, Uh, it would be fun to watch him down there. One question on Houston, could they keep Capella in that scenario? Like, if they add LeBron and bring back CP3 somehow, that probably means they have to let Capella walk, right?
1: Yeah, or he's going to have to take some insanely uh, generous discount, which... We don't really see that necessarily happening. I don't but know. Hey, Daryl Morey he, here's has pulled
0: a, off a couple deals that don't seem real, like a, a couple, like the PJ Tucker deal, the Nene deal. I don't. He he has his ways, so I put nothing past him.
1: Well, here's another one for you. I'm just breaking out conspiracies for you left and right. <laughs> what what if you let Capella walk, you bring LeBron in, and then you sign Nerlens Noel on the discount with the Rich Paul handshake agreement and you know his his oh shit <laughs> his stock is his stock is super low right now he's been injured like what kind of now we're contract talking is he really ben, get? now yeah. I'm a
0: believer if you add Nerland to the equation and we resurrect his career in the shadow of LeBron and CP3 I, I can get behind that I think I think you might have just brought me over to your side of the aisle uh well look one more. here's the other
1: thing though here's the thing LeBron would play center for them you know in this ideal world and when they're closing he would be the center at least on defense he kind of would be the the technical five that's awesome I mean that has so much potential in so many different ways on both ends Uh, I would I I mean honestly people can hear it in my voice I would love to see it I'm also (laughs) kind of setting myself up not to be completely disappointed with all this sneaker talk and all this ego talk because uh, it's it's almost too good to be true
0: I'm curious about whether LeBron is willing to embrace that role, either in Cleveland or wherever he ends up uh, next year, because center definitely makes the most sense, right? Like if he went to LA, it would make the most sense for him to play mostly center and, and just sort of be like a a Draymond type guy who controls the entire game from the high post. Uh, But he's been reluctant in the past to play down low like that. So I don't know if he's going to be like all in on that plan, wherever he ends up, but, um, but he's definitely well-equipped to just like take over games. I mean, if you go back to the OKC finals, like, in 2011 it was clear that he could just own the league if he wanted to play that way so yeah um, and to
1: be clear when I'm saying he's playing center it's sort of like the Draymond center where they stash it you know they play all these stiff big minutes to get through yeah. the regular season and then once it's the finals or the western conference finals and it's really winning time that's when you shift down and that's what the Cleveland's done uh you know at different points in recent finals and I think that's what Houston would do like really when push comes to shove but a guy like Nerlins or even Nene or whoever else you can just like put in there to mop some minutes. Uh, in this scenario, they would be kind of like the technical center to start the season.
0: Can I throw in one more theory slash scenario that we should consider before we move on?
1: I mean, you've got me so far off uh, the beaten path right now. <laughs> we've, <laughs> just, honestly, <laughs> we've
0: gone 15 minutes over on our planned LeBron segment. But look, imagine... They imagine the Cavs can get Paul George for Kevin Love and then they can turn around and use that Brooklyn pick to steal Marcus Gasol and Marcus Gasol, who would be under contract for next year and would stay regardless. Then they bring back Paul George. I think that is probably the most compelling threat of anything on the board with if, if, even even if you consider the Rockets a real possibility for next year. Add Gasol, add Paul George, and LeBron, and you can really go, like, not necessarily, I mean, you're not going to have more talent than the Warriors, but you can sort of go toe-to-toe with them.
1: Yeah, it's really tricky, that that center spot. What's the ideal center? And it kind of goes back to some DeAndre Jordan chat we've been having, because, like, do you want to have that big vertical threat who can get the lot of passes from LeBron, or do you want a guy like Gasol who can shoot three-pointers, space the court, and playmake, And is you know an elite interior defender, or uh, do you want to have a guy like Tristan Thompson who can really easily switch everything, uh, that flavor, or do you want to just have Kevin Love as your center and and try to go forward with that? I mean, it didn't work terribly in last year's finals at all. I think Kevin Love stepped up.
0: Kevin Love as your center against the Warriors. Hey, I'm
1: not I'm not selling it. You know, I'm not saying that's my favorite, but (laughs) there's these are the kinds of different options that they really have to be considering. Uh, And the funny part about it is like again, with Marc Gasol, would you rather close against the Warriors' smaller lineup with Gasol as your center or LeBron? I mean, there's a strong argument that you just yeah. take Gasol off the court. So then it's what do you do? It's also
0: tough because Gasol has been, like, the idea of Marc Gasol sounds incredible, but it, like, I watched him in Washington Wednesday night, and he he just didn't look great. Like, even just the way he moved was not super impressive, and his numbers have been shitty for the last two months. So there's a, decent chance that he's just on the downside of his career, and so it would, it would be a gamble for any team that trades for him.
1: Um, well, there's but, a, also a decent chance that Mike Conley's really, really good, and he's really worked to, to yes. bring the best out of Gasol for years, and they have an awesome two-man pairing. By the way, I mentioned when they fired Fisdale, look, a lot of pressure on Gasol here to step up and you know kind of turn their season around. Hasn't happened at all. That's You're dead on the money. Happened. It's been super depressing to watch their Dude, games. I mean, they're I real not- slogs.
0: I could not believe how depressing the Grizzlies were in person. Like that is a G League roster. Uh, it, it's <laughs> basically, like Jemichael Green, Marcus Gasol are NBA players, and beyond that, it is pretty borderline. Like right down from like three to twelve on that roster right now. So, I don't blame any coach who's not winning, and uh, I don't even really blame Gasol because it's just it's bleak. I it's it's one of those things where like you don't even know how, how it got that bad. Like I, I like Deontay Davis. I like Derek, uh, not Dil- I like Dylan Brooks, but, uh, but it's tough. It's a tough sell. So yeah, you like anyways. Tyreek Evans
1: too, but it, the, the point there is just, if he's really pointing the finger at the coach and saying it's the coach's fault, I mean, that is uh completely impossible to defend when we've watched how the last two weeks have played out. You know, this was not a Fisdale yeah. problem to me at all.
0: Yeah. Um, All right, let's move on. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Movement Watches. Movement Watches was founded on the belief that style should not break the bank. The watchmaker's goal is to change the way consumers think about fashion by offering high-quality, minimalist products at revolutionary prices with over 1 million watches sold to customers in 160 countries around the world. Movement Watches has solidified itself as the world's fastest growing watch company. And Ben, it's Christmas. Can you think of a better gift than a classy movement watch?
1: Absolutely not. And I can tell you why. It's the holiday season. What do we have in short supply? That would be time. That would be money, right? Everyone's running around. You're frantic. You're trying to get a good deal. Do you know who messes with both your time and your money, Andrew? That's right. The evil watch middleman. (laughs) The watch middleman, man. man. (laughs) All they will do is slow down how quickly your uh, gifts get to you. All they will do is mark the prices up to some insane level that you do not want to pay. Trust me. Fight back against those time-sucking, money-sucking watch middlemen and check out MVMT Watches for the Holidays. I'm telling you, $95 watch, that's the price point. It looks like a four dollars or $500 watch. That's an awesome gift. All of a sudden, you're family member of the year because you just decked out your uh, loved ones with an awesome watch. Check them out.
0: Yeah, you can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash floor. This watch has a really clean design. It's a great fashion statement. Now is the time to step up your watch game and you can support Open Floor at the same time. Go to MVMT.com slash floor. Join the movement just in time for the holidays. Get it done. Join the movement. All right, let's get back into it. So we got to talk Pacers. We got to talk Oladipo. We got to talk Thibodeau. And then we can run through some questions. But let's start with Indiana. Lewis says... As a Pacers fan who has seen what I would guess to be an average of 70 games a year for the past seven years, and I've seen all but one game this year, I honestly think that Victor Oladipo is having a better season than Paul George ever did in a Pacers uniform. Do you think that this year's Pacers will finish with a better record than last year, 42-40, and and if they do, how much credit goes to Oladipo considering they lost 60% of their starting five from last year? What do you think, Ben? What what's your take on the Oladipo season so far? It feels like the we've had Victor Oladipo week on the internet, and like pretty much every basketball journalist has weighed in on his progress this year. So give me give me your impressions.
1: I have lots of takes on this. First of all, I'm Lewis, I just want to say I'm not basing this off of Indiana's sort of disheartening loss to Oklahoma City where Westbrook shoots three for 17, has the worst percentage uh, in a triple-double since 1999. And, you know, mellow is typical terrible mellow. George really didn't play that well, and yet they still get the road win uh, in Indiana in front of all this screaming, angry, booing crowd, right? So it's not a reaction to that. Um, I want to say this about uh, the Pacers and Oladipo in general. It depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for the most fun season, has Oladipo had a more fun season so far, whether it's the game winners, the attitude, the excitement, the desire to be in Indiana, then absolutely you could say he's had a more fun season than any of Paul George's uh, seasons, especially recently. I mean, we called him loose lips Paul last year because he was so upset about everything. Uh, there is a certain moodiness. Obviously, his mid-career injury you know, kind of sent everything into a very dark place there for a while. Uh, and when he was at his peak, uh, he wasn't really doing it in this hero type way. It was more of a collective and they were real grimy defensively. Uh, it was all about the kind of the, the collective being uh, greater than the sum of the parts, right? I mean, that was really how the Pacers put up those big win totals and got to the Eastern conference finals. Oladipo is, uh, nice, charismatic, friendly, happy to be there, uh, willing to be a fan favorite. Doesn't want to leave. Doesn't want any off court drama. And for all those reasons, yeah. And so for all those reasons, (laughs) you could see why the fans would really rally around uh, Victor Oladipo compared to Paul George. Now, in terms of all around game, I don't think it's close. You know, I think Paul George, uh, in terms of an elite two way impact player at an important position at his best years in Indiana was a better overall player uh, than Oladipo and I think that's a distinction and as a home crowd I mean if you're the Pacers realistically and you're probably not going to compete for a title at any mm-hmm. point in the near future you never really truly competed for a title at the peak of the Paul George era do you want to have a fun team that's an upstart that makes the playoffs and surprises people or do you want to have this kind of moody team that maybe disappoints it's inconsistent uh, and it just kind of can't string things together? I can completely yeah. see why the the Pacers fans have rallied to Oladipo's side, but I think that's very unfair to Paul George. And you know, to me, despite everything this season, I've really been impressed with his defensive commitment. Uh, he's among the league's uh, oh, most George? important, yeah, most important defensive players so far this season. He's trying to figure it out on offense. I don't necessarily blame him. I mean, he's not making things necessarily better, but he's kind of at the whim and mercy of the guys he's playing with, and he's still getting it done on the other end. And I'm impressed by that.
0: Yeah, um, a lot to respond to there. I, I totally agree with you. Like, There's no question that this version of the Pacers is so much more fun to root for than the last couple years of the Pacers, in part because the, like, the cloud of anxiety that followed every Paul George game, because everyone sort of was wondering whether he was going to leave. And then, like, towards the end of last year, it became pretty clear that he was thinking about leaving. And then in June, like, his agent made it abundantly clear that he wanted to leave. So, like, all of that makes it really tough to enjoy any sort of, like, basketball. Uh, and especially since, like, the the team itself, like, were basically looking for Band-Aids, like the, the Jeff Teague trade. Like, they were trying... Throwing anything against the wall to see if they could get something to stick. Um, I think comparing Oladipo and George is interesting, though. Like, Oladipo might be better as a lead superstar. Um, and I don't think he's a superstar, but Slow I think. Slow like, down. If- Slow down. No, no, no. Don't
1: put that, don't put <laughs> that super word in there. Come on. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I don't mean to. I don't mean to. And I think the Oladipo conversation is strange because it also goes back to the OKC thing where, like, It has really bothered me to see so many people across the internet pin last year's version of Oladipo on Westbrook. Like I I think Westbrook, you can, you can make a good argument and I will agree with you that he is hurting Paul George's offense in OKC this year. But I think Oladipo as a secondary superstar would struggle on a a dozen different teams. Like his game he needs the ball to succeed, and he is finally getting that opportunity in Indiana, and we're seeing that like, he can do more with that level of usage than anyone expected. He's also in the best shape of his career, and like, he's, he's sort of turned a corner. I still think that like when you compare—if like if you had put Oladipo in Houston last year and, and, and had him replace Eric Gordon, I think he would have struggled. Because he's just not great at making the most out of like limited touches, and that's that's a limitation in his game that has nothing to do with Westbrook. So, the conversation to me has gotten a little warped because a lot of people are just like complimenting Oladipo as a way of dissing Russ, and uh, like Russ deserves criticism for a dozen different things, but I think like the Oladipo issue is sort of a different phenomenon. For sure. A
1: couple of things. First of all, Lewis, I do want to be clear about one thing. I think I probably came off a little bit more negative than I intended. Oladipo yeah. to me is an all-star this year in the East. Paul George, I don't think he's going to make the all-star team in the West. So from that standpoint, yeah. you know, kudos to Oladipo. To follow up on your point about, you know, the Thunder last year versus the Pacers this year, it's a lot easier for Oladipo. He has a clearly defined role in Indiana. He's the man. And guess what? There's really not that much pressure there, right? Nobody necessarily cares outside of their city unless they're playing this big revenge game. That's the only time they're on national TV. Surprise, surprise. That's when Adam Silver shows up at the game and they announce the all-star game and all these other things, right? Uh, Right. They're the foil. So there's really no pressure. If Oladipo goes out there and misses those game-winning shots, I mean, who really cares outside of Uh, that small pocket. When he's missing those shots in Oklahoma City, we're all freaking out and screaming about it because that's a team that's sort of elevated on a higher uh, media platform. And let's be frank, he didn't show up in last year's playoffs. I mean, that guy, he has to own that. you know. I mean, Westbrook needed a lot more help than he got from Oladipo. I thought he was solid during the regular season. He disappeared in the postseason. And so my big question about him is if they continue this, if they're in the playoffs, is he going to be a cute story who just fizzles out once they get to the postseason? Is he really going to be this 24, 25 point per game score night in, night out in a playoff series? Or is that stuff going to dry up? I suspect it's probably at least some of it is going to dry up. Um, so I, I don't think we should be going over the top in terms of praising him uh, That's my you know, thing. as this it's like, like there have breakout been people, superstar.
0: Right. There have been people pretending that like Russ had an all-star on his team last year and he just wasn't creative enough to utilize him and figure out a way to empower Oladipo. Whereas like, I I just think that's bullshit. I think Oladipo, if he's like your second or third best player is going to struggle more than he will as the, as the centerpiece because he needs the ball and he needs to be like initiating pick and rolls and, and sort of like the, the catalyst for that offense. And in, in that role, he is good enough to make your team good. I don't think he's good enough to make your team any better than like sixth or seventh seed. But like he will make the Pacers fun this year, and they'll finish anywhere between seventh and tenth, which is like about where they were last year. And as far as the, the Paul George thing is interesting because I think Paul George is amazing as a second superstar, but he has certain limitations as a as a like featured guy because he just is not as good at creating shots off the dribble. It settles for a lot of, like, really shitty Kobe-esque fadeaways that are just a bad idea that have not been coached out of him. But I think as a secondary superstar, he should be good. And the fact that he's struggling, that's where you start to criticize Russ. But I I think that, like, the wires have gotten crossed a little bit. Like, the, the Oladipo thing was a separate issue.
1: Last last Pacers point, and we really got to move on because, come on, this is like 15 <laughs> minutes about the Pacers. It is so hard to oscillate between those responsibilities between, hey, Oklahoma City needs you to step up and be the scorer. Okay, now you have to play off Westbrook. And when guys are capable of doing both, I really give them a lot of credit. One guy who pops to mind, CJ McCollum in Portland. He's really good at that. Like He can play off Dame. Uh, They don't really have that ego tension between the two of them, but when he needs to step forward, he can do it. Another guy, you know, closer to your home. I think Bradley Beal's gotten pretty good at that too, right? Nice potent one-two combination with Wall. When Wall goes out, boom, his offense uh, expands. It's very tricky to be able to do that. You have to be a really, really, really good player and a specific type of player to make that work. Uh, I didn't see this Oladipo breakout coming. I should definitely own up to that. When I was doing my trade analysis, I think I said, you know, they traded for two players who don't have any all-star potential. That's clearly been proven wrong uh, already to this point. But one other thing I'd say, this is very uh, applicable in real life too, like I mean, it's a lot easier for me when you host a podcast than when I actually have to host it. Oscillating between those (laughs) roles is difficult. If you look at like network television, I mean, every single network TV show has that scene where it's like the man has to do the woman's work for a day, you know, it's like, oh, I'm doing the laundry, I'm putting the kids to bed or, or or, you know, vice versa, whatever. And it's like, oh, wow, life is so difficult from the other side. That's really what we're seeing with Oladipo. I mean, it's not Russ's fault that that oscillation of responsibilities Uh, is so difficult. I do think he bears some responsibility for keeping uh, his teammates in certain niches and not really putting them in position to be their best selves, Uh, and especially last year. I mean, his usage was an absolute joke, and they really need to own up to that. I mean, it would have been difficult for anyone, even CJ McCollum or Bradley Beal, I think, to really break through uh, under those circumstances if they had been that committed to uh, the triple-double chase as they were. But... Oladipo's story is separate from Westbrook's story i think that's your big takeaway here i think that's what you said and i agree
0: yeah um all right let's move on we have to talk about the wolves our favorite tom thibodeau stewart says tibbs seems to be playing an eight-man rotation in minnesota very early in the season and he's giving his star players huge minutes in contrast, the Warriors, Spurs, and Celtics all seem to run with deep rotations during the regular season, and they have plenty of success. So, is Tibbs actually a dangerously bad coach? Give me your thoughts, Ben.
1: Well, actually, I want to hear your take on this first because I have kind of a, a step back take on this. I mean, I've seen okay. some people out there saying, "Oh, Minnesota might need to fire him. What he's doing is putting his players in position to have their careers shortened," and they're citing like Lou Waldang and. Uh, even yeah. Derek Rose and Joe Keem Noah from the, the Bulls tenure. And they're talking about Zach Levine, uh, you know, getting injured last year. I mean, are you one of these? And I guess Jeff Van Gundy is fond of calling them like the minutes truthers, you know, the guys who are constantly monitoring playing time night to night and and harping on it. Are you in that category or no? And is Tibbs really harming his guys?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not totally in that category. It's I think there's more nuance to it. Like I've talked to a player... Who said? Because we like over the last few years, they there was a lot of talk about back to backs and everything. <clears throat> and I've talked to a player who said, I actually prefer playing back to backs because after the back to backs, you get like a mandatory day off. And like most of these guys, when there's a, a day or two between games, like they still have to come to work and go to and practice and go to shoot arounds and everything. So like. Some people like to be to sort of like get it all out of the way and then just get away for a little while, um, but that so that's one thing. As far as the minutes are concerned, I think that like it's tough. I I don't really frame this in like player health terms, um, but I do think that there is a competitive advantage to having your guys like playing at a hundred and ten percent for thirty two minutes versus like. Playing at eighty percent for forty-two minutes, and that's where I think Tibbs has screwed up. Is like the rest, and and it doesn't even matter if if the advantage is real. Like if the rest of the league is playing guys thirty-two to thirty-five minutes a night, like those teams are gonna be fresher in the fourth quarter than the Wolves who are playing forty to forty-two minutes a night. And so, I think for me, like you saw in that in that Sixers game on I think it was Tuesday night. The Sixers were closing with their starters, but their starters had all played like six or seven less minutes than the Wolves. And if you look at the numbers, the Minnesota fourth quarters, like their defense falls off a cliff. Their shooting falls off a cliff. Like at some point, none of this is really a coincidence. And so I think it the the minutes thing, it's not necessarily that he's like shaving years off of guys' careers. We don't need to be too dramatic, but I do think it's a, it's a, another example of him sort of failing to evolve with the rest of the league and just sort of putting his team at a, at a competitive disadvantage.
1: Yeah, I'm probably a little bit more willing to believe some of the long-term implications than you seem to be, but I, I'm not sure that's necessarily the story here. Uh, when people are talking about, okay, what's his job in, in Minnesota? What's his status? You know, Should they be looking to make a change with him? It's very important to remember, this is exactly what he was hired to do, right? This franchise has never made the playoffs. He basically yeah. came in with a playoff mandate. He's got young guys he's got to coach up. That's what they brought him in to do. His theory is, by any means necessary, what? Get 46, 47 wins? So... That is clearly his priority. Everything he's doing is geared around that. So if you're ownership, I mean, what leg do you really have to stand on here? I mean, you empower the guy by making him both the coach and the president, letting him have his handpicked general manager. I mean, he's the main guy. It's very difficult if you're the owner to kind of go back to him and, and try to say, hey, man. Uh, you know, Cat looks pretty tired late in the fourth quarter. You know, he's getting mocked by Joel and beat on Instagram because he's a little tired late in the game and he's getting <laughs> scored on. You know, maybe you should con- continue uh, reducing his playing time down to like 33 minutes a night. You, it's really hard to have this conversation. And I think this is one of the hidden dangers of that president slash coach role. It doesn't always come up. It depends on the coach's philosophy, right? But that's yeah. where the checks and balances come in. And I don't know if you saw this uh, exchange recently between Steve Kerr and Bob Myers, where Steve Kerr was joking that if he didn't play Jordan Bell a little bit more, Bob might fire him. Uh, and obviously that. that's like a lighthearted joke between two friends, right? But there's some truth to that. I mean, Bob Myers is sitting there and he's weighing both the short-term implications of yeah. Kerr's you know, benefit of, of playing all these veterans and sharing the load and, and having Shangri-La for all these guys who are Uh, you know, maybe on their last legs in some cases, or just trying to keep everybody engaged versus the long-term benefits of saying, look, Draymond could be out of here in three years. We need to be able to replace him. We better get Jordan Bell some significant minutes right now and not just treat him like any sort of a rookie. That's the GM's job, right? It's to sort of oversee, to think about the big picture, to uh, plan things years in advance, to forecast, and to have conversations, productive two-way conversations with a coach about how minutes might need to be uh, doled out, how rotations might work, and so on and so forth. The problem in Minnesota is that two-way conversation is the Spider-Man meme. You know, it's Thibodeau in (laughs) in his office at 3 a.m. looking at his desk mirror, pointing at himself and saying, guess what? We're going all out to make the playoffs this year no matter what. Jimmy's
0: playing 46 minutes tonight. We're going to make it work.
1: Bingo. And so that is why it gets scary. And here's another thing about it. Look, if Tibbs makes the playoffs, uh, in his mind, well, first of all, if he doesn't make the playoffs, that's really when he would be in trouble, right? Like, that's what yeah. the whole point of a mandate is. So he, he surely feels he has to do what he's doing, and there is no one who can provide that check. That's what's scary. One final thought here. You know I'm a Jimmy guy. You've even compared me to Jimmy. Some of the quotes right. that have been coming out, I've been really excited about it in terms of his competitiveness and trying to get guys going. I had a lot of high hopes for him being able to mold guys like Cat and especially Wiggins to fill out their overall games to become more intense defensive players. But there was almost some like bullying going on this week with Butler saying, you know, guys got to be ready to play these big minutes. They want to play these big minutes. They should want to. Uh, that is not a super, super healthy uh, (laughs) locker room environment where you have this like, you know, borderline, I don't psycho in a good way. I mean, ultra competitive, tireless guy who is just killing to get on the court early in his NBA career, who loves playing kind of holding this up as the standard for guys like Kat who have different body types, you know, different strengths, different weaknesses and saying, look, man, if you don't play, you know, 38 minutes a night and like it, there's something wrong with you. I just don't know if that's a really healthy, uh, type of peer pressure environment. So I'm getting yeah. a little nervous uh, for those reasons.
0: Yeah, you should be nervous. It's pretty funny. I think it would get more attention if it was a team that well like wasn't the Wolves. I I, don't, I just don't think many people are like plugged into the day in day out like media buzz around the Wolves, but it does seem like at least twice a week Jimmy Butler goes on an extended soliloquy about defense and toughness and like what it takes in this league and you gotta imagine like it certainly seems like towns and Wiggins have been checked out for like the better part of the last two years and that's probably not the best way to get them like back into it just lecturing them like publicly on a weekly basis Uh but it's it's been entertaining to watch your point about Tibbs is is dead on like I, I do think that like even when he took over we knew that he was it was probably not healthy to have him in the GM president role in addition to his coaching responsibilities and i get why he wanted them after getting stabbed in the back in chicago like i understand why he would make that like a condition for wherever he coached next but uh it's not going super great uh although it's funny because i mentioned it to i mentioned that like Wolves situation to somebody who works for another team and he, and I said it was like getting a little bit dicey and the guy with the other team was like you know like they're fourth in the West it's not that dicey like they're fine and uh, the, but there's a disconnect because I also have like a friend who's a diehard Wolves fan who watches every game and about a week ago he texted me out of the blue it was like listen I would trade Tom Thibodeau for Scott Brooks tomorrow, if you'd let me. I'd even throw in cash. Like, just please get this guy out of Minnesota. So that's not a great sign. And people watching these Wolves games can see, like, in a lot of them, Jimmy Butler is the difference. Jimmy Butler and Todd Gibson have been great this year. Jeff Teague has been pretty good. But I think if you're, like, looking at the big picture, I think a lot of people would have, would prefer to see Cat and Wiggins sort of like powering this team more than they are. Um, and it's, it's not a great sign that they've been marginalized.
1: I'd also say this, there's always a shelf life on this. We saw that, we learned that firsthand in Chicago. If they make the playoffs this year, is Thibodeau gonna say, well, we made the playoffs, we proved we could do it. Now let's ease off the gas pedal next year and let's, uh, you know, go play 11 guys. No, of course, he's not going to do that. He's (laughs) going to say, it worked for us last year. Let's go do it again. And there's only so long where you can have your, you know, your foot on the gas before things start to break down. Uh, That's just the way the NBA goes. And so it kind of feels a little bit like a ticking time bomb. At the same time, they're a natural candidate for a buyer at the trade deadline, you know, go out there and find that uh, that eighth or yeah. ninth, tenth guy for your bench, where you actually Thibodeau trust. Him.
0: has done a terrible job stocking the bench. I mean, that's that's where he has really failed. Like, and he he deserves a lot of credit for pulling off the Jimmy Butler trade. Teague has been better than I think a lot of people might have expected over the summer, and so like, and even Taj Gibson has been like a, a decent fit for them. But Taj Gibson has to play forty minutes of an, a night because like. Tibbs went and and chose Shabazz Muhammad and Gorgie Dang and Cole Aldrich, like a lot of guys who just shouldn't be like on long term deals um, that are. And and that's where Tibbs has really failed as like a GM.
1: Yeah, and it's tricky too because, you know, President Tibbs will say, well, it's really hard to get talent in Minnesota, and then Coach Tibbs will say, hey, man, I feel you. Let's just play the good players. And it's just this (laughs) – that's why you need to have that that separation of powers. It's so crucial.
0: (laughs) Yep. Uh, All right, let's run through a couple quick questions here. Uh, From Tibbs' new team to Tibbs' old team, AJ says, would the Bulls be in playoff position had Bobby Portis not socked Nico Miritich in his face? Uh, absolutely not. But the Bulls, I think, I think this is like a four-game winning streak, has been pretty wild. And I'm I'm inching closer and closer. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. But I'm inching closer to defending the draft night deal to get Chris Dunn and Lowry Markkinen, uh from old big head himself, Gar Foreman in Chicago. <laughs> um but, yeah, like the, they're not in, in horrible shape. I do think Miritich has these, like, I, this is one of those things you learn playing fantasy basketball. Like, for three weeks a year, Miritich looks unbelievable and just lights out from all over the floor. And you're like, holy shit, this is the guy the internet was buzzing about back in, like, 2010. Like, the Bulls, he's, he's the stretch four of the future. And then he'll just kind of, like, fall off the face of the earth. And uh but right now we're we're on a hot streak with Miritich, and he has kind of like transformed the Bulls for about a little 10-day stretch here. And uh maybe it'll get him traded because this is certainly like supposed to be a tanking year.
1: Yeah, we all knew Fred could coach. I mean, no surprise.
0: Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, we trusted him la- all along.
1: <laughs> I will say in the last week Chicago has gone from that team where anytime you look at the scores and they win a game, you just feel absolute disgust for the team that they beat to uh-huh. Now it's like slightly less discussed if they beat a team, but still. Well, look, Chris, uh, this Dunn, Chris Dunn is okay. I mean, come on.
0: Chris Dunn has been solid. Nico and I like Bobby Portis is not a real good player. Um like I think he's like a fringe rotation guy at best. Miritich, his future is probably not in Chicago. But I think that the 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 marketing year and the Chris Dunn year are legitimate reasons for optimism, which like considering how dark things were two months ago and even like two weeks ago has got to be considered a win for the bulls
1: yeah you love to do the like the anecdotal hey i have this friend who does this and and you're bringing in that as you know evidence for the whole fan base so i'm going to do the same thing i talked to a guy who who canceled his season tickets on the day they traded jimmy
0: (laughs) and (laughs) i was
1: asked him this week it's like hey four game win streak are you thinking about like getting back on the bandwagon and uh, it was a two-word response. One of them was a profanity, and the second word was no. So I don't know if, That's fair. People are, if there's building excitement. And also, it's kind of a risk here. Like, stop playing around. Like, if you're Chicago, you should have the worst record in the NBA, period. You know, and yeah. uh, maybe we can trust Gar to manage that tank down the stretch. I don't know. But uh, these seem like really empty, self-defeating wins to me.
0: The season ticket thing is pretty funny because I've got a friend who is a Wizards fan. He's actually... <laughs> He's my uncle and he, I, I use his tickets sometimes uh, and he's been a season ticket holder for like 15 or 20 years and he is so fed up with like Marchand Gortat <laughs> and Markeith Morris. I get angry profanity-laced tirades from him on a weekly basis and this is like a father of three and he's like in his mid-40s but he's just fed up and I can't figure out why he's so pissed off but then... Like earlier this week, I thought like, man, this is a guy who has been like dropping several thousand dollars a year on season. I mean, more than that uh, on season tickets for like 20 years now. And so I think if I were paying that much of my own money for a team that just com- like consistently shoots itself in the foot, I would be pissed off too. Um,
1: well, that, that actually brings us to our next question from Greg. He says, has Andrew successfully mentioned <laughs> or talked about the Wizards in every single pod since he promised he wouldn't talk about them until Christmas? It look, sure feels like it. Weird. It does it does sure feel like that. Although I will admit I've been goading you a little bit uh, ever since yes. you tried to make that declaration. I've been tempting you with the the liquor bottle after you say you're trying to clean your act up, but <laughs> uh yeah, you really have, man.
0: Yeah, look, I've been doing the best that I can. I just it's what I know, all right? I I went to the Verizon Center last night to watch the Grizzlies and the Wizards. It was one of, Probably the worst two and a half hours of basketball I've seen in like all year, certainly, Uh, maybe longer than that. But uh, I I can only share my experience with you guys, so I'm doing the best that I can. But we are we're we're gonna dig into the Wiz next week. I think it's time. Uh, Let's talk about your hometown. Ben says, last year's 20-game Nurkic sample for the Blazers provided a much-needed interior presence and his passing really set the stage for the Blazers' streaking. This year, they don't seem to have sustained that style of play. What gives?
1: Well, I did write like a 12,000-word story about (laughs) Nurkic, so I'd say start (laughs) there uh, if you would. Do me that favor, Ben. Ben. Uh, in all seriousness, in terms of the offense, first of all, the rest of the NBA was as surprised as we were by the Nurkic fever breakout, right? Nobody was defending him down the stretch, and a lot of the teams they were playing down the stretch weren't that great. He was also as motivated as he possibly could have been after the the really ugly scenario in Denver to sort of reclaim his uh, reputation, his career, his direction, all of those things, right? So Uh you had the combination of a super motivated guy with a new opportunity with, you know, opponents not really either trying super hard because it's late this season or kind of ready for what he could do. And he had really never shown the passing ability before at all. So that was kind of caught people by surprise. Teams have updated this season. There's no question about it in terms of how they play them. And it also goes back to this idea of the spread. I mean, Nurkic is pretty much a body in the paint. You know, I mean, that is there are ways to sort of work around it to try to get him out, setting screens and stuff, but he's in traffic. And their offensive efficiency this season just hasn't been as good, especially uh, compared to down the stretch of last year. And I think life has been a little bit harder for Dame and CJ uh, because Nurk's on the court. And another factor is, I mean, let's be real. It's a contract year for him. He wants to get paid. Uh, They feel like they have to play through him to a certain degree. And he's not the world's most efficient one-on-one offensive player. And if you're devoting, he's, he's really
0: not like his, his shooting numbers are not great considering how big he is and some of the limitations he imposes on them elsewhere. Um, Like, and it's, it's, it's tough because I watch him play and I, I look at his numbers and I think like it's almost unfair. To be a big guy in the modern era, you have to be crazy efficient and productive with every touch you get because you, that's a touch that isn't going to guys on the perimeter who are arguably more dangerous. And so, like, the standards are pretty high and you're graded on a, on a pretty tough curve, but he doesn't quite measure up. And uh, and that is a, that's a bummer because as someone who's always liked Yusuf Nurkic, he's just playing in, a, in an era that, like, makes his his game a little bit more complicated
1: no that was well said and I think you know if teams update their scouting report and it becomes look force him to beat you one-on-one with the turnaround jumper just kind of push him off the block if you can don't send the double so he can't get those easy passes and and the ball you know keeps moving real smoothly and just force him to kind of chop it up and then if he does turn across the paint try for steals because he's a little bit turnover prone. Uh, it's not the world's hardest defensive scheme to do that stuff. And I think, you know, the, the the secret got out a little bit at the same time, you can't expect a guy to maintain the level of energy that he had down the stretch of last year for 82 games, no matter how much weight he lost over the summer or anything else. Uh, when you have that huge 20 game breakout, I mean, the odds are he's going to regress from that peak, uh, over the course of the next season. You know, I mean, like no one's out there putting up like 20 twenties every single night. It just doesn't happen.
0: My my only Blazers take is that the roster is shockingly uh, thin and shitty. And I don't know how it got this bad. And Nurkic is not quite as good as anyone expected. Uh, however, I think that they are going to make the playoffs somehow. As long as Dame and CJ are healthy, They they're going to find a way to make a run down the stretch and salvage this again for the third straight year and be a fun seventh or eighth seed. But I, I'm just curious like when that's gonna stop being enough for either like the ownership in Portland or the fans in Portland. But um but I'm never gonna write off Lillard and McCollum because they're they're that good and like just having those guys gives you an advantage over teams like the Nuggets who don't really have an identity yet and teams like the Grizzlies who are like falling apart like the bottom of the West is is just uneven enough so that Lillard and McCollum will, will be enough to get them there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Blazer Maniacs are pretty frustrated right now because they don't see the ceiling uh, in the short yeah. term. And, you know, Lillard's clock is ticking. Is this going to be a contender at any point during his prime? I don't see it. Do you? You know, next three, four, five years? No. Uh, I don't see it at all. And so uh, that gets tricky. How good can these guys really be defensively? I mean, the early season numbers were, were really strong. Nobody necessarily expects that to maintain. Do they have real options for adding talent? No. Do they have a lot of tradable pieces? Not really. I mean, back in my day, not to sound like the old guy, I mean, Paul Allen would have fired people by now. You know, I mean, back when he was popping (laughs) Kevin Pritchard and Rich Cho and, you know, left and right. They change
0: GMs like every two years, like clockwork.
1: No, No, I was right there, like, you know, on the ground doing the war reporting uh, for a really dicey stretch there. And it's been real calm and placid. They've gone for with Neil O'Shea and Terry Stotts for years here. Uh, you do wonder, does he ever start to get a little bit of that angst that the uh, the fan base is feeling? I'm not sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, all right. One more question before we hit the podium, and I have a fantasy, fantasy squad update for you. Uh, but first, Brett says, would you rather give a solid jump shot to Lonzo Ball or Ben Simmons? I think the answer here is clear, but I'll let you cook first.
1: Ben Simmons. Come on. Really? Easy. Come on. Yeah. No
0: way. Yeah,
1: no, I want Ben Simmons to be an all-time great because it just would be so funny because then I could bring up your opinion of him every single week <laughs> along the way. It's, it's really one of my favorite hobbies. So people you ask what? me what I like to do, I like to I go for walks. It.
0: I did not yeah. appreciate Lee Jenkins bringing up both my Cavs pessimism and my Ben Simmons pessimism. I didn't know that Lee listened to the pod like that. I probably should temper my takes. A little bit <laughs> um it was it was upsetting uh but look
1: look let's let's be clear though he wasn't trying to go at you he was just trying to bring the fury from me i think he was just trying to get me fired up you know
0: i know and you were just a, a little loyal par- parishioner there um bowing at the altar of of the god himself but listen i have i don't i think lonzo ball is the clear answer to this question ben simmons is going to be really good regardless i i think that the the jumper is important if you're the Sixers, um, particularly if you're the Sixers and trying to win at like an elite level in the playoffs. But I think Simmons is going to be like a fixture on the NBA landscape for the next 10 or 15 years, whether the sh- the, the jumper comes or not. Like 6'10 Rondo is an amazing player, it turns out. So I think that he'll be fun regardless, whereas Lonzo, like... His career is going to be super uncomfortable if he can't get a jumper, and if he can get a jumper, it could be really cool. And he he would make the Lakers a lot more fun and more interesting over the next ten years. And uh, like he could lure free agents. I just I, I don't understand how anyone could answer Ben Simmons on this question.
1: Well, I think I want to encourage people. Shameless plug alert! Read Rob Mahoney's meditation on Lonzo that w- that went up this week. Uh, he did such a polite job of just filleting Lonzo's <laughs> long-term future. Uh, and, and Rob tends to like those guys—the Rubio types, you know, the Jason Kidd types. Like he's, and he's usually in. Doesn't see it, but he's having a hard time talking himself into where this is going and he just walked through it methodically and, you know, precisely as he always does. I just highly recommend it. It's a really good read. Uh, In terms of why I want to give it to Simmons, I'll keep it quick. It's the same reason why I want to give it to Giannis. I mean, we're talking unguardable if those guys have, you know, off the dribble three point shots, can you imagine uh, how good they could be as overall offensive weapons? I love greatness. I think even if you give Lonzo (laughs) a three point shot, I do. I'm a big fan of greatness. I love appreciating greatness. You know that about me, Andrew. Really bold uh,
0: stance there. Love it. Well,
1: you don't. You don't. I mean, you like the more flawed (laughs) players, the guys who, uh, you know, they're, they're quirky, you know, like you, you like Jamal Crawford, uh, (laughs) you know, and that's not greatness. There's a difference, you know, and I, I'm a big fan of Jamal Crawford's too, but I'm just saying if you give Lonzo a three point shot, what's his ceiling? All-star, right? Like all NBA guy, but Simmons, with like a legitimate three-point shot off the dribble, he can just come down and transition, pull up and hit it. He's not LeBron 2.0, but he is really, really, really good. And so I want to see what that is. And same thing for Giannis. And actually, my question is, who can I give a three-point shot to? Simmons or Lonzo? I give it to Giannis. Give
0: it to Giannis. <laughs> I love it. I'll accept that answer. That's that's perfectly fine. We we want to live in a world where Giannis, Inc. is in the conversation with Jordan and LeBron. And I believe, I believe that we'll get there. I've been watching a lot of Bucks lately. Um, but let's move on to the podium. We have two questions this week. Ben says, What exactly is the purpose of the podium segment? I always hear you guys announce the segue, but I don't notice any real shift in content or format. What am I missing? Uh, so the quick answer there is that the podium developed, uh, I think we started it like a year ago. People would hit us up with questions about us that were only tangentially related to basketball, and um, they're not really interesting compared to our discussion of actual games. So we just sort of threw it at the end of the podcast, and people could turn it off if they wanted to, or keep listening, whatever. But we probably suggest turning it off and ignoring it, because it's all mostly nonsense. But that's what we're doing here. And so but
1: that that backfired on us pretty hard though, because it turned out that people just wanted the nonsense. So then the nonsense spread and proliferated into all the basketball analysis. Until now, true. it really is indistinguishable.
0: That's yeah, true. It's just seventy five minutes of nonsense every every episode. Um, but uh, Dan says while watching the Raptors Suns game, I noticed that Alex Len actually looks kind of good and is capable of putting up decent numbers. While I realize he's objectively ter- terrible, I still feel like he can put up stats, especially with the nationwide interest we have in Sharp's fantasy team. It's fun to look at who can put up numbers, even though they're not valuable in a team context. So who are your favorite NBA players who are actually terrible? Um. Okay, so first of all, to answer Dan's specific question, I will say, like, I do have a soft spot for the Jamal Crawfords of the world. I watched Lou Williams beat the Wizards almost by himself uh, last weekend, and it was great. So, Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford are probably my answer to that question, both of whom are are objectively mediocre, but, like, they're a million times more fun than someone like Chris Middleton. So, I, I will always have a soft spot. Do you have anybody... That you would answer because I feel like guys who are who are objectively terrible are just sort of off the list for the Goliver All Stars.
1: Well, as a guy who appreciates greatness, you know, terrible <laughs> is tough for me. I <laughs> exactly. have a hard time with terrible. You're a real taste
0: person, man.
1: Have ever told my Nolan Smith story? I'm not sure I have. The no. craziest stretch of basketball I've ever seen in person. Uh Actually, that might be overstating it, but the craziest stretch of terrible basketball I've ever seen from one player uh, in person was Nolan Smith. Now, obviously, the Blazers drafted him with the first round pick and they didn't take Kenneth Fareed. It was this huge debate in Portland because obviously Fareed came out of the gates and was a hustle guy and and Blazers fans love the hustle guy. Nolan Smith was kind of this scrawny point guard. He went to Duke and there was all this talk about, oh, did Coach K tell Nate McMillan to draft him? And all these conspiracy theories about how the Blazers got stuck with like this lemon of a backup point guard. Yeah. So one night, Nolan Smith goes out there. He's playing backup minutes. And there, I, I believe Brandon Jennings was on the Bucks at this point. And if you go back through the play-by-play data, Nolan Smith checks into the game. And in like a span of like one minute and 40 seconds... The Blazers give up like a 13 to zero run. And it was like Nolan Smith turnover, layup layup for Jennings. Nolan Smith turnover, layup for Jennings. (laughs) Nolan Smith turnover, Bucks three-pointer. Like it was completely insane. So my entire, and this is, you know, this is why I used to have an edge, you know, back when I was, uh, you know, truly heartless. So my entire game recap from that game was like, basically went up to Nolan Smith after essentially the worst game of his life. And by the way, he got pulled out immediately after this two minute stretch and they lost the game entirely because of that two minute stretch. Like the rest (laughs) of the game was, was played totally even like he was clearly the reason why they had lost. And so I was like peppering him with questions about what had happened. And he was like, to his amazing credit, you know, he answered the questions. I mean, he wasn't happy about it, but he answered the questions. But then I proceeded to write this post game recap where I basically said that if Nolan Smith had just gone out onto the court by himself and shot free throws onto his own basket at like a rate of like one for every 16 seconds, that would have had the exact same effect as how he had played in the game. Like if he had just <laughs> He's been there shoot- <laughs> <asshole>. <laughs> shooting the ball into his own hoop for, you know, every 16 seconds, that, you know, it, it would have basically produced the same result. That I would say is my favorite terrible player of all time.
0: It is pretty funny to think back to how ruthless we used to be. Cause I was the same way when I was like 23 years old and I was writing for SB nation. Uh, just like the, the various bloggers around the internet used to be so much meaner to players because I don't think we totally realized what kind of impact we had. Like at one point at SB nation, it was the night uh the night that the Wizards drafted John Wall. I was like furious that they also traded for Kirk Heinrich and I wrote a post called Dear Ted Leonsis Fire Ernie Grunfeld that was and that was the title. <laughs> and uh definitely got some blowback from the actual team on that one and that caught me off guard. But like just the, the, the like personal attacks I used to throw out on a regular basis online. Um and listen, listen. Nolan Smith is from DC, and I know people who know him. Like we, we like they are mutual friends, and uh everybody says he's just the greatest guy in the world. So I hope you feel guilty about your Nolan Smith. No, he, he was. A,
1: he, look, he was a great pro. I mean, in terms of every, you know taking care of business off the court, I think he might have even got into coaching. I mean, he had a big foundation. Like he yeah, was an A one cool. guy. No one was saying anything about that. It was it, just Brandon Jennings had a, a pretty good night against him. That was my only point. Hey, I want you to read one more question for us, if you would. Can you read it from our favorite librarian and Kings fan, Atticus? Because I, I want to go off on a, on a funny note.
0: Okay. Um, wait, I hold on. First, I have a fantasy update here. Oh,
1: my God. I jumped the gun. What okay. is it? Team Sharp. How are we doing?
0: <laughs> it has been an odyssey, Ben. <laughs> it really has. The last two weeks... I'll give you a quick recap. I I promised I would update last week and I and I screwed up. So the like 2-minute recap here is I reopened old MVP wounds with my Westbrook column and you and I were exchanging angry texts and I can sense that like there's still real resentment on your part <laughs> over my MVP vote last year, so I was trying to sort yeah. of like Heal. It's not like you
1: can sense it, okay? Yeah. There
0: is. <laughs> I, look, I I will never
1: forgive, and I will certainly never forget, and I will always hold it against you. Go ahead, continue. I know,
0: and see, if I said that to you about anything, it would be pretty clear that I was joking. Like, I'll never forgive no, you for I'm this. I'm not. <laughs> You're not I'm joking. I'm not joking. So, so I figured I would do my part to try and heal the relationship. I tried to trade Kyrie and Klay Thompson for James Harden and some other pieces, that didn't work for reasons I explained last week. But once I had thrown Kyrie into the trade mix, I just couldn't resist sort of exploring the market. And I needed rebounding. So with apologies to Mr. Very Much Woke, uh, I, eventually I traded Kyrie and Brandon Ingram for John Wall, DeAndre Jordan, and a longtime favorite of mine, Rodney Hood. Which, on its face, is a solid deal. But then, the problem was, the second John Wall hit my roster, I had this rush of panic. Like, I already have too much emotional capital invested in the Wizards. And the idea of watching Wall shoot 7 of 20 for my real-life favorite team and my fantasy team, like, was just too much for me to handle. So I came up with a new deal then. And it was a deal that was going to allow me to accomplish my original goal. The trade was John Wall and Marcus Morris, who, uh, on a side note, Marcus Morris has been awful this year. Um, So I was really excited to get rid of him. And then I was going to bring back Chris Paul of the Houston Rockets and Isaiah Thomas, uh, who is a favorite of mine, Seattle bucket getter, and... I was taking advantage of a friend who I knew wanted wall and wanted to have wall and boogie on the same team. And he accepted the deal and said, we're going to be team fuck Colin coward and we are going to win the title. And I was like, that's awesome, man. I'm just really excited for CP three and Isaiah. I'm excited to have wall off my roster. And then the jealous small market owners that make up the rest of the league vetoed Uh my trade so oh, I know I basically lived like the the Chris Paul veto in my fantasy league and uh at that point like I was really reeling for the next five days and um, I recently I have good news that I I was able to trade John wall because John wall is like irrationally valuable because I'm in a league with a bunch of other people from D.C., so he probably has too much value, but I was able to flip him (laughs) for your guy, Jimmy Butler, which is not quite a Houston Rocket, but I've got Jimmy on the squad now. I'm rooting for Tibbs to keep playing him for 45 minutes a game, and uh, all's well that ends well, but it was pretty dark. I'm currently losing my matchup for the week. I'm losing all nine categories, (laughs) Um, and uh, it, it got bleak.
1: That was like a three-act play. There was so much going on there. <laughs> Lots of twists and turns. I kind of, I love the idea of you as Mitch Cupcheck just fuming at your computer at like 2 a.m. It's fantastic. And it's, like, where it's are you really gonna-
0: upsetting because it did make me like really, truly mad. Like it affected my mood for about an hour and then I got over it, well. but...
1: It affects my mood too because I'm your biggest fan. Uh, <laughs> did you? What are you going to try to pull like a Lamar Odom follow-up trade? You remember that? Like they, they were yeah. like all frustrated and Look, panicked. I mean, do you do you have one of those on the horizon?
0: There might be uh, there might be a, a subsequent deal. I don't know how I feel about banking on Jimmy Butler's health for the rest of the season, but uh, and I'm also a little bit worried about Damian Lillard's health. But um, we'll see we'll see where it goes. So I'll keep everyone updated, and I, I sincerely hope this is why you shouldn't listen to the podium <laughs> segment because <laughs> I hope that nobody tried to follow that for the last five minutes. But
1: no, they did. It was awesome. Uh, there was lots of twists and turns, like I said, it was a real holiday thriller, just in time for Christmas. I love it. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, good. I'm glad that worked out for you. Um, And our final question is from Atticus, who says, which GMs do each of you guys identify with? I could see Ben as RC Buford. This is shameless pandering on my part. But maybe he's more like Ainge because he has no heart or soul sharp is definitely stan van gundy he does way too much too passionately he hates dwight howard and he would probably come up with a defensive scheme along the lines of build a fucking wall you two have compared each other to players so let's hear the gm comps what do you think ben well first of all i don't think i could do better than stan van gundy for
1: you so if you have another option i would love to hear it but second (laughs) of all in in atticus's run up to this question he was talking about how his library has subscribed to sports illustrated and apparently it's uh, over the time of the subscription, it's cost his library more than $10,000. Uh-huh. And so therefore he he's essentially saying that he's paying our salaries. How quickly Atticus forgets that. Didn't we get him that job, Andrew? Wasn't he the guy who said uh, uh, my greatest ability is availability it's and true. that's how he got hired?
0: <laughs> so true. for this that guy a- to
1: turn around and question our jobs and question whether we're worth, worth the money in his email, it really kind of hit me uh, close to the heart. <laughs> But here's what I'd say in terms of comping myself to GMs. Now, he was shamelessly pandering to me with the RC Buford thing. Of course, that got me very excited. Yeah. And I was going through different options. Guys who I sort of would like to relate to the guys I'd like to be, you know, it's sort of the Den- Dennis Lindsay types, the Kevin Pritchard types, the Sam Presty types, you know, thoughtful, kind of lower key, not out there all the time, uh, always wheeling and dealing. But let's be honest, Andrew. That's who I want to be. That's not who I really am. And you compare me to Jimmy as a player. And I think the honest truth is, if I was a GM, wouldn't I be Tibbs? I'd be just doing nothing but win now. <laughs> I'd be doing nothing but win now trades. I'd be gunning for the playoffs constantly. I'd be sending all my draft picks down the river. I'd be encouraging my coach to play all the guys forty minutes because I, you know, I, I'm impatient. Uh, I like to win, and uh, you know, I'm a little frazzled. So. I think honestly, I might be Tibbs. Would you agree or disagree?
0: <laughs> you really, really would be. I wasn't sure where you were going with that, but man, Tibbs is a much better answer. R.C. Buford is giving you way too much, way too much credit because first of all, R.C. Buford has great people skills, and <laughs> <laughs> that's not Ben Goliver. You you are Tibbs one thousand percent, and I love it. And I. Stan Van Gundy, I would be honored uh, by the comparison, but I think more. Of, first of all, my my fantasy team behavior is like dead on. Daryl Morey just constantly churning away with bullshit <laughs> moves, and uh, Ainge is probably who I would like to be because Ainge is both smart and reckless, um, and I I've always admired that about him. And whereas Stan Van Gundy, he is like great, but he's also kind of a bad GM. Um, but maybe that's, maybe that's accurate too. I don't know. But, well, uh, the, la- I, the
1: last comparison though, is the diet Coke factor, because not only do you <laughs> hate Dwight true. Howard and really <laughs> react passionately, but you know, his fav- his famous moment in Orlando with, uh, with Dwight Howard had that can of uh, diet soda featured prominently. And before every episode, guys, a little inside baseball for you here on open floor, Andrew always calls and says, Hey, are you ready to tape? And I'm like right here with my microphone, ready to go after him for an hour and a half. And then he says, okay, give me five minutes. I have to go find a diet Coke. So I think it fits perfectly. I think you should just own it. Whether or not he's a good GM, he's going to have his team in the playoffs too. Maybe one yeah. day we can dream about a Timberwolves Pistons finals. What do you say?
0: I'm in, I'm in hundred percent. Well, this has been fun. It's been good to get back to it. We'll be back on our normal schedule next week, Tuesday, Friday, Send us your question, hit us with reviews, um, five stars only, and Ben, uh, I will talk to you soon, man.
1: Five star reviews on Apple Podcasts, we're trying to get 10,000, we're making our final push here before Christmas, <laughs> check me out on Instagram, Ben Ben.Goliver, so we're really close, we're, we're nailing it. Open floor mail at gmail.com open floor mail at gmail.com for all your questions, comparisons, word games, dream journal entries. We've been getting some awesome questions lately. We got a whole bunch more to tackle next week. Andrew, until then, I'll talk to you. All
0: right, man. Peace. Another great edition of open floor is in the books. Did you know locked on has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search locked on Lakers, a Celtics fan, search locked on Celtics warriors fans search locked on warriors yes all 30 nba teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the locked on podcast network search on apple podcasts or google podcasts for locked on your favorite team or tell your smart speaker to play podcast locked on your favorite team it's the locked on podcast network your team every day